0: Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry. Namely, the actors, and filmmakers, and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Firminger, and today, Well, today I am thrilled to welcome Bob Fraser to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Bob Fraser doesn't care about being liked, or maybe he does. I don't actually know, we've never spoken before. I'm making assumptions based on the character he plays, the 'er ne'er-do-wells, the evil puppet masters, the smarmy assholes, and how often they make me wanna hurl things at my TV. I often don't like the characters that Bob plays, but I sure love watching him do his thing on screen, be it in indie films or genre television. And in recent years, Bob has given fans a lot to love. He was Roger Hayden, also known as the psycho pirate in Supergirl and Arrow, a supervillain who could control the emotions of everyone around him. He was the sorcerer, a criminal mastermind hacker in the thoroughly entertaining and controversial reboot, The Guardian Code. He was a smarmy luxury car dealer lording over a loser dad portrayed by Eric McCormick in Drinkwater, the indie hit that wowed audiences at the 2021 Whistler Film Festival. And he's Alban Hurst, a key figure in the anti-witch terrorist organization, the Camarilla, in Freeform's brilliant Motherland, Fort Salem, which is currently filming its third and final, <laughs> final season. In 2018, Bob won the UBCP Actor Award for Best Actor for his work in The Canon. Bob played Colton, a.k.a. The Cannon, an ailing adult film star struggling to prevent the collision between his personal and professional lives. Colton isn't a straight up bad guy, not like Albin or the Sorcerer or the Psycho Pirate, but he's broken and he makes really, really bad choices. And yet you still root for him because Bob makes you understand Colton's struggle. You never forget his humanity. It's a riveting and honest performance. So I wonder how all of these screen performances tie into Bob's work in the theater. He's a regular on stages around town, including for numerous titular roles in Shakespeare plays at Bart on the Beach. And he's been nominated for like a boatload of Jesse Richardson Theater Awards. The, The latest number I saw was 16, could be even more than that. Well, wonder no more. Today, we are going to have a riveting and honest talk about playing ne'er-do-wells, evil puppet masters, psycho pirates, and smarmy assholes with one of the best to do it. Bob Fraser, welcome Hello. to the Waver Screen Scene Podcast. Finally!
1: I'm so excited. I feel like I've feel like i reached a new level at, at talking to you. I feel this wow. is very exciting for me.
0: That is that is. Exciting for me to hear that. Um, and we should also add, uh, although Bob kind of said this in kind of a, like a, an apologetic way before we started recording, but I think it's exciting. There's a dog. There's a dog, <laughs> a dog named Stanley uh, in the background. We might hear from Stanley today. We are big fans of, of pets here uh, at the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, especially during a pandemic. Um, so uh, yes, hopefully we'll be getting some kind of appearance from Stanley today. Bob. Hello. What is it about you that makes you a go-to guy for these kinds of roles? The 'er ne'er-do-wells, the evil puppet masters, and the smarmy assholes.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, uh, I've thought about this because... Yeah, I think it's one of two reasons. One, um, it's my genetics. Uh, I'm Mm. born with these really sharp features and uh, a broken nose over the years playing hockey. And so I feel like I have just the features that kind of show bad guy. That's what John
0: Emma Tracy said when I asked him. And I'm like, what is it about you? And he's like, I think (laughs) it's my face. I'm like, it's no, it's more than your face. But yeah, that doesn't, it doesn't hurt. You know, you know John,
1: John and I totally, we worked on a show together at the Arts Club, St. Joan, with uh, Meg Rowe, the brilliant Meg Rowe. Actually, yes. that cast was phenomenal. But John and I, and I would look at him and I'd go, I think John's my long lost brother. He's <laughs> got the same kind of features I do. I, I really do think that's part of it. Yeah. And, you know, the other part of it was I was watching the um, uh, James Gandolfini's um, uh, uh, The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. And I loved that series. And I remember watching this one guy. He was an uncle and he got out of jail and he tried to take over the kind of the empire. Mm -hmm. And he was smarmy and he was like, I hated him. I hated his character so much. And I remember thinking, why don't they kill this guy off? Hmm. Why don't they kill him off? I hate him. And then I stopped and I went, whoa, whoa, wait a second. They cannot kill him off because I'm having a visceral reaction to this performance. I'm having this feeling about him. And that's exactly what he should be doing. And in that moment, I was like, I think I'd like to play that guy. I think I'd like to play that guy that makes people feel things, whether it's good or bad. He made me feel something. And uh, I started to change the way I looked at things.
0: So what then was the first role then that you that you were able to sink your teeth into that was like that after you had made that that statement that I'm like, I think that would be fun to do.
1: Yeah, I think it was shortly after that, that I kind of started, I played Richard III at Studio 58 and then went on to Bart on the Beach to play Richard III. And it, I, I really went for, I shaved my head, totally bald. I made him, you know, he's described as a bottled spider and he's got a hunchback and a arm that doesn't quite work properly. So I kind of really went for that. Mm. I just went for the kind of person you wanted to hate. However, in Shakespeare's brilliance, he writes all these villains, Iago and things like that, that are are um, lovable. Hmm. And so I didn't shy away from the evil quality of those characters, Iago or Richard III. I actually uh, relished in their evilness. And with a smile on my face, the audience often jumped on board. And it was really quite fun because they become complicit when they... Um, when they start to love a character who's really bad.
0: What kind of headspace do you think you need to be in to properly play one of these guys? And like is there a wrong headspace to be in? I don't yeah.
1: judge my characters. In fact, I often try to find out why they are like that. I guess the wrong headspace would really be to um, play them as evil or bad guys, or mm. I'm playing a bad guy now. Um, and the right headspace might be to say, okay, this uh, Richard III is, it has a deformed body, so uh, he must have been picked on. He must have been bullied in school. And mm. this is him fighting back. Alban Hurst is kind of the same way um in season three i think we'll start to see a little bit more of his history and um and and you start to wonder uh, about what brought him to the place that he's in how did he get there and I, I find that kind of the right headspace to get into when playing the bad guys
0: there's a lot of shades of gray in motherland fort salem um camaria are supposed to be the very very bad guys and we see them do really really bad things. Um, but at the same time, like there are there are shades of gray, you know, I cause I can imagine being a non magical human living in this world where witches are, are in control of the military and being terrified and upset. So I think we should start with like, where do your sympathies lie, Bob? Do you sympathize at all? Do you understand at all where the is coming from? You know, like where do your sympathies lay really? Besides being team Albin, you know? Yes.
1: Here's, here's, uh, uh, so uh, when I was talking with Elliot, uh, the creator, he he mentioned um, Silence of the Lambs. And he mentioned Anthony Hopkins, uh, Hannibal Lecter, and I was like, "Oh, that's very interesting." Okay, so I I watched the movie. I went back and I watched the movie again, and and Hannibal Lecter is this amazing human being. He's um, he's he's a cannibal. Mm -hmm, He mm -hmm. eats human flesh, and that's like awful and terrible, of course, of course. But he understands that he just has this affliction and he tries to help, but he's also very, uh, he also takes a lot. So he's very selfish, but I don't, I think he just understands he has this affliction and there's not much he can do about it. Mm. So as I started to research Hannibal Lecter, I was um, fascinated by this idea of someone who has this affliction, has this thing that they just do and they can't help it. And so I started to think about Albin a lot like that and the Camarilla kind of being his um, way to accomplish what he needs to do. He just has this thing, whether it's through his childhood or through his uh, growing up, the way he was brought up, he just has this thing where he must figure out the witches. Mm. And when I started to do, I'm just going to reveal maybe a little bit about my own character work on, on Albin. When I started to look at, uh, someone in the costume fittings just sort of said Nazi doctor one day. And I was like, what? Nazi doctor? That sounds absolutely horrifying. It sounds terrible. But it was intriguing to me as, a, as an actor to kind of um, investigate that. So I started to do a little research on some Nazi doctors. And the one that I found really interesting was um, Joseph Mengele. Uh, the
0: one who yeah. did all those studies on, on yeah. well, quote unquote yeah. studies. He tortured. Yeah.
1: Twins. But here's the thing that I found the one thing that I found the most fascinating about my research was that the the his he worked on twins a lot really young twins and yeah. what he, they called him uncle joseph because he would con them into thinking that he was a good guy so he mm-hmm. would starve them and then he would go up to one or two and he'd give them candy and he'd say don't tell anyone this is just between you and me a little yeah. something for you and they mm-hmm. thought he was this great being. And then he would take them out and torture them and kill them and do horrible things to them. And so uh, as much as it turns my stomach and makes me sick to think that humans can be like that, there was this quality of wanting to be loved that he had in Mm. in his being somewhere. And so I started to bring that quality. I would say hello Clarice before every scene to start. <laughs> and then I would it's also- neat, a
0: good like anchor, you know, yeah. that you hold on to. Interesting. And then I would
1: bring in this quality of wanting to be loved by the witches. So I think in season two, you'll see how Albin kind of brushes the hair off of witches that he's about to operate on, or he'll he'll shush them if they're too anxious or upset. He'll just kind of Calm them in a parental, almost uncle way, and um, I, I kind of started to build the character based on those two ideas.
0: Oh, you just gave me chills! I think also because <laughs> I've just consumed so much of your work in the like you know over the last couple of years. So you say that I'm like, well, good lord, this is a very creepy person because <laughs> I, I see in the characters, I don't see Bob. Yeah, but how are you different from the characters? You know. In-
1: yeah, uh, uh, you know, it's How are you different
0: things. from Alvin, you know, because every once in a I'm, while, I'll be like, wow, like, I mean, you have a dog, your dog likes you. That means you're a good person automatically. Uh, you know? I try to be a good person.
1: Uh, you know, you said something very interesting in the, in the intro. You said that I'm not a person who cares about being liked. Yeah. And I think there's a truth to that. As, as much as it's not true, it's also very true. Mm. But in this way, um. I care about the work. I am a huge fan of acting. I teach it. I have, uh, you know, a little group that about 50 actors that I work with and we learn from each other and I read acting books and I love the work. I love to dive into it. I love to explore new ideas. And I'm also, I, I, I think that our industry needs to be really generous with each other. Here's a funny little story to just kind of explain that. I remember years ago, I was going up against the same actors all the time. And I remember Robert Maloney, who's a brilliant actor, and also uh, an actor that I went to Studio 58 with. And we would go up against each other for the same parts. And I was thinking, gosh, like it's all the time. It's Robert and me and kind of this. And I remember looking at him one time and I said, okay, you know what? If I don't get the part, because of course, uh, that's all that matters to me is being number one. (laughs) (laughs) Kidding. (laughs) kidding. Um, <laughs> but I thought, if I don't get the part, I really hope Robert gets it. And there was this change in me where it became about generous, being generous. And I thought, you know what, there's enough work to go around here. Um, let's, let's be generous with each other. Let's really support each other. And mm. so I really try to live my life like that. I also, Hiro Kanagawa is another great friend of mine. Oh. And he won, he won a trophy one year for, uh, at the Jesse's. And his speech was beautiful. And he said this, he said, I don't look at this award as the end point. I look at this award as the next level of what I want to, uh, where I want to grow as an actor. I look at it as you saying, okay, you did this and it was excellence. And I look at it and say, now I'm going to use this as a stepping stone to reach the next level. So um, there was this drive in him to be better. And I remember thinking, yeah, Yes, that's what I want to. I want to be better every time I step out there. So I feel like you uh, it, um, generosity and the drive to be better can live together. They can be married together. And so I try to live as an actor like that.
0: How do you judge success then? Success with the work, success as an actor. How do you know when you have hit that point that you need to in space the specific jobs?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. Here's the truth, Sabrina. I don't think that we ever are as good as we want to be.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We just kind of do our best at all times. Here's the other thing I feel about acting is that it's infinite. In other words, there's no finish line. There's no grand poobah status that you might get in Scientology. Look at Scientology, they even give Tom Cruise his own special titles, right? Mm-hmm, as he, mm-hmm. he reaches the next level. So I don't feel that there's an, an end point. I feel the, the art is infinite. And because it's infinite, the idea of success can't really exist. Hmm. What you can do is you can try your best feel good about the work. You can be um, truthful to the work and give everything you have to the work. And if you're telling the truth, I guess then you'll be successful. But the next time you go out, what's the next level you can reach?
0: Hmm.
1: What's the next um, thing you can do to go deeper in the work? There are kitty cats meowing in the (laughs) background.
0: He wants a door opened. Um, He's also agreeing with you completely. Um, I want to talk about, you know, kind of to build on what you've been talking about. I want to talk about the canon because in your filmography, it definitely, it stands out as this kind of shining star. Uh, And I sense watching it that you were very joyful and engaged in that role, in that project. This is me completely making assumptions, um, just based on what I was able to watch you do on screen. Um, and then there's also the fact that you won an award for it, award where your peers, it's, it's, it's a peer driven award, it's UBCP Actress, so it's the Actors mm-hmm. Union that, that gave you this particular award. Tell me about the, the particular joy of of playing the canon, this adult film star um, who basically is on the is on the cusp of a huge health challenge and is trying to keep his his career of twenty three years a secret from his fourteen year old daughter. And it's, mm-hmm. it's you, people can watch it; they can rent it on uh, on um, Apple TV, iTunes, which is how I watched it mm-hmm. uh, yesterday.
1: The Canon was a really interesting um, uh, um, part for me, and the truth is that I have a, a, a daughter who is now in a third year at McGill, and she's a beautiful, smart, um, generous, and empathetic human being. And I really love being around her. And however, the truth is, I'm I'm a guy, and uh, I I understand being a guy. I know what it's like. I don't really understand young teenage girls. I, mm. And uh, I didn't really understand them as uh, my daughter was growing up. I tried my best. I'm not sure I was, um, I, I didn't get it. As, as my daughter was growing up in her teenage years, I really kind of look back on that time and think, ah, you know, if I had the wisdom that I have now, uh, um, then I think I would have been, you know, just able to deal with things a little bit better. Mm. The canon was a beautiful opportunity for me to explore my own Um, truth in that. And as I, uh, as Colton tries to do, he tries to really protect his daughter, but there's a point where he has to let her go and live in the world. And um, so for me, I was able to access my own truth of what that was. My kids probably don't know this uh, and maybe they won't ever know this, but um, they're a huge emotional influence in my work Mm. and uh you know it's important for us to as actors to uh use what we have been um you know uh, how we live how our, our families and our friends and our lives and our relationships it's important for us to use that in our work and the canon was a great opportunity for me to um use my relationship with my teenage daughter
0: Okay, and what about the award? Ah. You know, what did it? What did it mean to you to you be recognized hear? Okay. by your colleagues in that way? Yeah.
1: So this is a crazy story. I to be recognized by my colleagues was the. It's probably the uh, biggest um, gift I was given. I was so proud to have won that award and this is what happened i was with hiro kanagawa actually on c the tv series c and Mm -hmm. we were in campbell river and um i had this great part on c and and my day of shooting we finished early hiro and i were sitting in the pub and he leans over to me and he goes hey you won and i was like what i won because i don't own a cell phone uh I know, crazy, but I don't. What? And so I didn't have access to the I'm internet. Going to put a
0: pit in that, but we're going to talk about that. <laughs> after, yeah. That
1: so he blows went, my he mind. Holds his phone up to me. And he <laughs> goes, "You won," and I was like, "Wow, I won!" Crazy. And from that day, I didn't work for a year. I did not work one day on anything. No mm-hmm. workshops. No play readings. No independent short web series. Nothing. Not a day did I work for almost exactly one year when Ben Cotton won it uh, beautifully and took away the curse. However, um, not only that, that job on C, my part got cut out of that episode, and I didn't even get an IMDb credit on it because I wasn't in the credits at the end of the episode. So it was this crazy time where I felt on top of the world. I had been recognized for this part that I felt absolutely connected to with my heart it was my peers that were recognized me I felt like I felt wow this is awesome and then the world came at me and said hey don't get too high on yourself don't you know don't ride that horse out of here just yet and it said you're still a human and you're still an actor and so um it was a a beautiful tragic moment that
0: Oh, I mean, it is definitely in line with a lot of what happens in the film. Uh, (laughs) However, so you see that, do you see that as a gift? Do you think it was the universe? Do you think you were manifesting something in that kind of like Canadian way of like, we like... We don't feel like we could receive success or accolades at all, which is why one of the reasons that I have to fight so hard to make people who work in this industry think that they're stars, you know? (laughs) They're like, I'm like, the star system. They're like, what star system? like, you're all stars, for fuck's sake. So what do you think it was about that that year?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't feel like I manifested it. And that year, I continued to work hard. I, like I said, I had this group of about fifty actors that I work with, and we would get together, you know, almost daily and work stuff and try scenes and auditions. And you know, I kept being creative. Yeah. I just couldn't get a job. I just huh. couldn't get a job.
0: <laughs> so is there? I a, don't know. Is there a lesson? Like, what lesson do you take from that?
1: Yeah, you know, here is the lesson: is that the work matters. Mm, Capital
0: T, capital W. You're still doing the work. Yeah.
1: And so I literally just dropped myself deeper into being better. As Hero said, I wanted to take it as the next step forward. Now, after that one year of no work, things started to get crazy. And then it was, of course, COVID and everything. But our industry got a little bit busier because LA and New York had shut down so much. Uh, Vancouver became very popular and we had great COVID uh, protocols. Mm. And then I got a couple of movies in Victoria. Then, of course, Drink Water came around and then Motherland came around. But I'll tell you, if it wasn't for the work, continuing to practice daily um, during that year of no jobs, mm. I would not have gotten Motherland and I probably wouldn't have gotten uh, Drink Water either.
0: Yeah. So, is there a difference then between the work? and jobs do you hold them in different places in your mind or are they uh, how intertwined are they yeah
1: that wow that's uh really interesting what do i think about that you know i think uh, um because
0: you did the work you did a year yeah. of the work even when yeah. you weren't working
1: here's what i think i think when you get a job, there are two aspects of the job. There's your agent working out your contract. There's your trailer. There's your, you know, whatever. All that kind of business side of things. But yeah. when you actually get on set and you start to interact and have relationships with the other characters on the show or in the scene, that's still the work. Mm. That's still the work that I love to do. So thank, thank God for agents because they can deal with all that uh, <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> and I can just focus in on the work. So yeah, I think, I think they are the same thing. I think, you know, booking a job or doing practicing auditions or practicing the work, it's still the work.
0: Um, We are going to uh, talk a little bit more about theater and screen and theater versus screen, if that's even a, if that's a choice you have to make. I don't necessarily think that you do, but I do like to, you know, create these like false battles on my podcast, you know, heightened tension and conflict and stuff. But before we do, I do want to talk about Drinkwater, which was a highlight of the 2021 Whistler Film Festival for me. I know it's still doing its festival journey. There will be more and more opportunities for people to watch it. Follow Bob on on Twitter, and you'll get announcements about that. But um, you play this really uh, smarmy asshole, uh, Mm -hmm. In drink water, you get to spar uh, with Eric McCormick. Yeah. Uh this an, another person who who really holds the work in in high regard, and who has also spent a lot of time on stage and on screen, Famous, famously on screen for Will and Grace, and also for Travelers. And I did notice uh, that um, he got you got punched by him uh, yeah. in an episode of Travelers uh, <laughs> as well. You know, so. Um, I don't know what to read in that, Uh, but uh, talk to me about because you did he was your screen partner for a lot of this, working with somebody like Eric, who who has that background, who has, you know, the 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 status, the success, the, the mastery of both stage and screen as well. You know what you learned by working with him and also what are some things that you got to do with him and on Drinkwater that you hadn't had the chance to do before?
1: Yeah, it was pretty funny. The first, when I saw him the first day, he says, ah, Bob, the last time I saw you, I punched you in the nose. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes, you did. Yeah. Um, here's the thing about uh, Eric that I absolutely love. Eric is the most generous person you'll ever meet. And I don't just mean that as a human being. I mean that as an actor as well. Mm. So when we would step up to work with each other, there was often this idea that we would play, that we would just take what the other person was giving and give back. So there was this great generosity that existed in his work. It became very easy to be with him and to act with him. We stayed on script for the most part. He likes to throw in a couple of one-liners here and there and catch you off uh, off guard. But um, we just, um, I'm a firm believer that when you see someone, you actually see them. So when you meet someone, you look, into their eyes, as opposed to just kind of looking at the space between you. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to those parties all the time and you kind of see people and you, hey, how's it going? Great. What are you working on these days? And that kind of um, insane talk at at award shows or or wherever. Uh, You don't really see the other person. You don't really see them. Hmm. But if you sit down with someone intimately and you look at them and you talk about life and you really want to hear what they're doing, you will see the color of their eyes. You might even see little tiny um, uh, emotional triggers in their eyes. So they might start talking about something and go, oh, they're sad about this. Or, wow, what was that? That's when you really see someone. Well, Eric sees and mm. not only that, he does one of the things that I think every actor has to do. He is willing and courageous enough to be seen. Mm. So he doesn't protect himself. He, he is willing to be seen.
0: Yeah, he takes a lot of risks in that in that role uh, as well. Um, yeah, like it's not, the mustache. Well, the the mustache and the, <laughs> yeah, I mean the the character is you know it's a he's a loser. Like he's not yeah. a he's not a good father. Um, it's it's not like you it's some very attractive role, you know. But there's a vulnerability there. So for you as a stage actor and a screen actor. Um, it's the same thing. Is it, is it different? Is, are are you, does it require different toolkits? Is there an internal battle in you, you know, between the the stage actor and the screen actor, you know, battling it out inside of you? Like how do these things, you know, interplay, interact within you?
1: Yeah. Uh, this is a common question, especially for uh, actors who are entering the, the profession, right? They're kind of yeah. confused by it. The, Acting and my my humble belief is that acting is acting is acting is acting, and I don't care where you do it. I don't care if it's a commercial for Bell or Rogers or Shaw or what or us, whatever. I don't care if it's a commercial for a candy bar, um, or if it's you know the a uh, uh, huge American feature film starring you know Timothy Um it doesn't matter acting is acting is acting and if you're on stage or if you're in front of the camera the basic principles of acting still exist Mm. however there are technical aspects of it that need to be adjusted for instance if you're on the bart on the beach stage and you're outside in Vanier park and you know there's people walking by and there's a huge audience of 700 people you have to raise your voice Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you have to speak just a little bit more clear If you're on the Arts Club stage, but you're on the Granville stage, well, that theater is just a little bit different than the Stanley stage. Mm -hmm. And so there are definite technical aspects, but the foundations of acting have to remain the same or do remain the same as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah. What is, what is a Bob Fraser role?
1: Mm -hmm. You know, when I was in grade 11, uh, I, I had a teacher in my drama class who um, handed me To Be or Not To Be. She said, do this do this monologue, Soliloquy. And I was like, okay. And I didn't really understand it. You know, I was 15 or 16 or something like that. And then just as I was about to perform it for the class for Marx or whatever, she handed me a Bible. And she said, here, just look at this when you're doing it. And I was like, a Bible? You know, I don't really, be- I believe in spirituality, or- but a Bible? Yeah. And I opened up that book and I started, the, I started to say, to be or not to be, that is the question. And something happened to me in that moment. It was like, I understood. I just understood. Hmm. I don't know what that meant. I just, standing there with the Bible, which really does deal with life and death and heaven. And I was like, oh, oh, I get this. And the monologue, the soliloquy came out and I got it. And I thought to myself in that moment, well, I have to play Hamlet. Mm-hmm. I have to play this part. And so I bought a copy of the art and Shakespeare at that time. And I just started reading it. It was on my bedside for probably, you know, 15 years, 16 years. And then I ended up playing it at Bard on the beach. And it was really the, the start of kind of um, the next level for me, um, understanding what that was. And so to me, that part has always had a special place in my heart. Um, And so what's a Bob Fraser role? Uh, Many will disagree with me, but I'll say Hamlet. Hmm.
0: (laughs) What is a role or type of role, but could be a specific role that you haven't played yet, but that you yearn to play?
1: Uh, You know, we talked earlier, uh, this has been on my mind lately. We talked earlier about uh, how I... Um, thought about oh i want to be bad guys for a bit but i'd also kind of like to be um a lover again
0: mm. <laughs> i'd
1: like to <laughs> fall in love a couple times on, on uh, you know in on stage or on screen i, I think i'd like to kind of be that i think i'd have to smooth out my features a little bit in order for that to work
0: but... oh my god <laughs>
1: <laughs> um but I, I think i'd like to kind of play I, I think i'd like to play a lover um I love lover i mean we I, all love falling in love right come on yeah. it's a beautiful feeling
0: i want you to play a lover in a film um where the romantic rival is john emmett tracy
1: <laughs> he can play the bad guy
0: let's end with what the fuck um what the fuck what by the, the way fuck? Uh,
1: i listened to your interview with uh Jayla, and Jayla. Uh, and I loved that you called her Jayla fucking horse dog. Oh, fucking
0: horse dog. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because for me, honestly, for me to be able to have these kind of moments, these kind of conversations, you know, to talk about about an art that I don't really understand, but that I'm standing with my face pressed against the glass, like, and I'm just, I'm such a fan of, you know, it's like, it's a dream control. That's my what the fuck moments. And Jayla is just... You know, I'm, I'm a total nerd and she's playing the president of the, the fucking Federation of Planets <laughs> on Star Trek Discovery. So she's just such a what the fuck person for me. Chill a fucking horse doll. Um, thank you for cross promoting my episodes, by the way. That's episode 200 of the YVR Screen Scene podcast, which you can find uh, in all of your free podcatchers and at wyriscreenscene.com. Anyway, what the fuck? Bob, when... Do you have, what the fuck? This is actually my life moments in your career. Like when do those happen for you? And I mean, what the fuck? Not, what the fuck? There's a difference, you know, cause yeah. I'm an actor. I'm not, I'm not an actor, but you know, you can see the difference there in my delivery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, that was brilliant. Do you, are you, you sure you're not an actor? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, what the you know, fuck? here's uh, my life is a is a, a series of um, great moments and tragically comedic moments. Um, for instance, let me just give you a quick little example of what the what the fuck. Um, <laughs> on, the, on the day that Drinkwater was at the Whistler Film Festival, I believe you were doing the red carpet there,
0: right? Yes, I was. Yes. yes.
1: So I was on set for Motherland. So here I am, a working actor in this brilliant role that they've written for me, a beautiful scene that I had to do. And I wanted to be released by, you know, I wanted to be there for Eric's, uh, he won an award that day and I wanted to be there for that. But I knew that I had to be released from set in Vancouver at 4 p.m. to make it there by 5 p.m. for his award. That didn't happen. But I knew I had to leave at 5.20 from set in order to drive for the seven o'clock premiere and hit the Mm -hmm. red carpet. At 5.19, I'm still laying on 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 set in this scene going, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. At 5.23, they released me. So I, I race out of there. I just run to my trailer, get cleaned up, go, hop in my car, and I drive like a madman. At every red light, I was changing my clothes. So literally, I had my pants off at one red light, trying to put pants on, shoes, the whole works. As I pull into Whistler... It's seven o'clock on the dot as I'm parking my car in the parking lot. I look up and I can see the theater as I'm walking, running on the icy sidewalks. And I see through the window you and the cast in front of the screen on the red carpet taking pictures, talking, and I'm looking at it going, You guys, I'm coming. (laughs) <laughs> and I didn't oh, no. make it for any of it but I go through the line and they're like I'm, I'm Bob Fraser I'm here for the movie and they're like oh yes come on come on and they usher me in and I walk in and I have to walk in at the at the screen so right uh, everyone's seated already ready to go <laughs> and I walk in and I'm kind of sad that I missed the red carpet and seeing everyone and taking those great photos and all that sort of stuff I'm kind of sad that I didn't get to be a part of that really fun thing but as I walk in Um, the cast has taken up two, three, four rows and they see me and all of a sudden someone goes, Bobby and they all started yelling and cheering and stuff. And I just kind of looked up and waved. And so there was this crazy thing that I went from working on uh, a, excellent TV series show, have a great part. I don't make it to where I want to get to, but I'm okay with that. I'm disappointed. And then this cheer that came up because of the generosity of other people. And I thought, yeah, this is this is my life. This is mm-hmm. kind of what happens. There are Um, misses and there are wins and there is sadness and there is frustrations, but there is also great happiness Mm. and um, over the years I've really learned to live in this moment right now because this moment is just what it is and whether it's uh, tragic or comedic, it's still this moment. I often say to my students, uh, you know, they start crying because the work is affecting them. And they look at me and they always say, sorry, right? We're so Canadian. I'm I'm Mm. sorry I'm crying. And I say to myself, are you kidding? I'm not afraid of emotions. I encourage them. I welcome them, please. And that's kind of my, what the fuck?
0: Bob Fraser, thank you for being here today. Where can our listeners find you, follow you, celebrate you on the social media?
1: Um, they can follow me on uh, uh, Instagram <laughs> my kids tease me about how terrible I am at that stuff but I'm on Instagram at Fraser Bobby Facebook and Twitter are the ones that I use
0: okay please <laughs> listeners like subscribe leave us a review if you're so inclined they help us find even more listeners that we can ha- keep having compelling and really fascinating conversations like the one we had today Find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at yvr screen scene. And you can find me at Sabrinarf. I've been told that I should say that more. So Sabrinarf, S-A-B-R-I-N-A-R-M-F. The YVR Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Furminger. I am the only one to blame. And it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger, for the original music. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic, dynamic film and television scene. And cut. This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day.